Within the pro-life movement, there are many different branches that work together for a common mission, to advance a culture of life. Today, we're gonna be talking with one of our dear friends about how the church can be very involved in progressing the pregnancy help mission as part of the pro-life movement. I'm Andrea Treden, and you're listening to the Pregnancy Help Podcast. Today, I am joined by the Director of Ministry Engagement for the Douglas Leadership Institute, our friend, Reverend Arnold Colbraith. We are very excited to have you here, um, Arnold, and I'm looking forward to hearing more about this special initiative that you guys have going on within the Douglas Leadership Institute and everything that you've already been able to see in less than a week's time. Um, Before I jump in completely, I want to... um, introduce and thank our producer, Christine, and also our sponsor, PregnancyHelpNews.com, where anybody can learn a little bit more about the pregnancy help movement and pro-life in general. So check out PregnancyHelpNews.com. So let's jump right on in, Arnold. I'm looking forward to hearing kind of a little bit about you and how you got involved initially in the pro-life movement, and then what brought you to the Douglas Leadership Institute? Okay. Well, I'm Andreas, it's always good to see you. You know, I remember running into you at Heartbeat Conference Mm -hmm. over the years, and you were always so bubbly and everything. And, you know, so so it's great to to be with you uh, this morning. I I love uh, Heartbeat International, and uh, I go way back to Peggy Hartshorn years and and just Mm -hmm. love, you know, Joelle and and, um, and Betty and just all of your entire uh, team. So thank you for this opportunity to be on the broadcast. Oh, absolutely. It's always a joy to have you um, at our conference or with us in uh, prayer and running into you and all sorts of different pro-life capacities around the nation, actually. So yeah, we're very blessed to have you as part of our team. Oh, thank you. Well, to your question, um, I grew up in a pro-life home, which meant that my parents were very conscious of, uh, you know, pro-life issues. They would talk to myself and my siblings about it. Uh, But I will add this piece, which may be helpful to some of the listeners. That did not mean that we did a lot of, you know, marching or, you know, praying in front of, um, you know, various abortuaries in the land. And I know there's a need for African-American representation in those kinds of forums uh, and scenarios. However, uh, a lot of times that's just not the way that Black folks will walk out uh, their uh, for lack of a better way of putting it, their pro-lifeness. So I just wanted to throw that out there. But we were very pro-life. We talked about it. We weren't embarrassed about it. Um, and then when I got to the seventh grade uh, at uh, Schwab Junior High School uh, here in Cincinnati, Ohio, which is where I live, uh, my father, the late Dr. Anderson Colbreth, um, a prince among preachers, I'm, I'm telling you, uh, he he um, he was the first African-American pastor in our city to uh, invite in Dr. Jack Wilkie and Mrs. Barbara Wilkie. Uh, Dr. Wilkie was a medical doctor, as you already know, but Mm -hmm. some of our listeners may not. But he was a very precious uh, Catholic brother that I had, I I ultimately had the, the privilege of working with, and I'll talk about that in a moment. But he brought in Dr. Wilkie and Mrs. Wilkie, and they did their slide presentation. 
And the slide presentation basically showed you a baby that had just been born. And then they would walk you all the way backward to the single cell zygote that we all started out as in our mother's womb. And they basically drew the biological and DNA, you know, and um, comparative analysis that if it's a baby here, you know, post-birth, it's a baby here pre-born. Um, and if it's a life there, it's a life there. And that 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 moved me, you know, because uh, it 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 dovetailed on the things that my parents had already been teaching us in the home. Then fast forward to 2007, um, I was in the middle of ministry opportunities, wasn't quite sure what I was going to do. Um, I was working a secular job and a friend of mine called me and um, told me about this position for um, what was the what was the title of uh, director of urban outreach with Life Issues Institute. And um, so I said, well, wow, it sounds like something that I'd be interested in. It was it was creating something where there was nothing because they wanted an outreach developed to reach the black community on the issue of abortion. Uh, I already knew about abortion. And, um, you know, they 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 um, you know, they we had an interview. Mm -hmm. And um, let me back up before the interview. 1985, I married my precious wife. We've been married for uh, 35 years. And when we were dating, um, we were, we've, I had talked about marriage several times. I hadn't yet asked her to marry me, but I had kind of floated it out there. And ladies, if you don't know, that's often a play in men's playbook that we'll float it out there just to, just to see if, uh, you know, see what the probability of a favorable response is. <laughs> I was going to say that could be dangerous there. <laughs> <laughs> right. And sorry, guys, that I'm breaking man code. But <laughs> but I, I mentioned it to her several times about marriage and she didn't respond. But I knew we were we were deeply in love. And I was I was intrigued um, and a little bit saddened that she wasn't responding. So we're ending one of our dates. I was in Dayton, Ohio at the time, finishing architecture school, um, and which I've practiced for uh, for over 35 years now. Um, I've also been in ministry for 35 uh, years, classic underachiever. So don't get hung up on all the <laughs> tools that I have in my toolkit. I try to use them for the glory of God. But, I'm just thinking uh, that you are quite the builder. Well, absolutely. Spiritually, figuratively, mm -hmm. literally, that's right. That's absolutely how I see God's call on my life. Uh, but she had, so we finished a, a movie and dinner date and we're, we're in, in front of my apartment building, Dayton, Ohio. And she says to me, Andrea, she says, well, you know, Arno, you've mentioned marriage several times and, 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 uh, you know, I haven't responded. And I said, you're right. You know, and I, you know, what's up with that? You know, <laughs> and, and she, you know, and she said, well, if we're going to go forward with marriage, then there's something you need to you need to know. And I don't get I don't get nervous often. I mean, I've, I've studied martial arts and and physical combat for many years. I'm a United States Army veteran, you know, and all those things. So I don't get scared very often, kind of knocked around in the streets as a as a teenager, you know, just doing dumb stuff. But so I don't I don't I can handle myself physically. So I don't I don't get nervous very often. Not that this was a physical altercation, but you see what I, where I'm going with this. Right. So, so I said, you know, I'm thinking to myself, what is she getting ready to tell me? You know, um, is there another man? You know, or is this going to be a Jerry Springer moment? And she <laughs> tell me she used to be a man. What, what, what is happening? You know? <laughs> the unknown <laughs> silence. Yeah. So she tells me about two years before we met 
when she was attending Central State University, which ironically is in Wilberforce, Ohio. Mm-hmm. Uh, she graduated from there in music uh, education, and uh, she she had an abortion uh, while you know two years before we met, mm-hmm. and uh, she never told the young man. She uh, she went and and had the abortion because she didn't want to hear from him that typical response that, well, it's not mine, even though he was the only one she was with. And her father, like my father, uh, was a pastor. Uh, Her father's still a pastor in Dayton, Ohio. He's been pastoring his church for 60 years and he's 90 years old. He's still pastoring and preaching. We just went and visited him about three uh, three uh, weeks ago up in Springfield, Ohio, which is where he lives. So she didn't want to bring shame to her father's ministry. She didn't want to have to drop out of college. So she had the abortion. And strangely enough, this is going to freak you out, but well, maybe not you because of the work that we do, but she went and had the abortion, you know, and, and then went back to class, you know, I'm like, I'm like, wow. But she described it with such vivid description about the mm-hmm. smells in the place, the sounds in the place, she could remember it. And, and, and she said, if you don't want to move forward, I would understand. She, she said these words, I'll never forget them. It was bone chilling. She said, I'm damaged goods. Oh. And I didn't know as much as I know about abortion then, now, but I did know about abortion because of growing up in a pro-life home and having been exposed to Dr. Wilkie. And I'm going somewhere with with all of this uh, this flow and connecting these dots. Um, so, uh, so, so we got married and uh, 2007, I, I'm asked to interview with Life Issues Institute and um, I mentioned it to her. I said, well, honey, this job is going to deal with abortion. I will have to design a website and literature, and there's going to be travel and speaking and all of that. She got very quiet and she said, well, she said, it sounds like the perfect job for you. She said, traveling, speaking, creating something where there's nothing, because I've always been a trailblazer from the time I was a kid. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, so she said, the only thing I wonder is, will she said, well, my choice disqualify you from the from the position so that had hung on her for long after she told you about it she still had that and carried it with her oh absolutely and and i told her i said well i said i don't know i said but if you're okay i'd like to share your story in my interview and she gave me the release to go ahead and share it Uh so i have the interview with life issues institute was the longest interview I've ever had in my life, probably about <laughs> an hour and a half or two hours, because um, Dr. Wilkie was in the meeting, Brad Wilkie, mm-hmm. excuse me, Brad Mattis, the executive mm-hmm. director was in the meeting, and it was a wonderful kind of exchange back and forth. And I still hadn't connected the dot back to Dr. Wilkie uh, from seventh grade, but he, this is who I'm sitting in front of. For those that oh. don't know Dr. Wilkie, he founded Cincinnati Right to Life. Right. He founded Ohio Right to Life. He founded the National Right to Life, and he founded the International Right to Life uh, Federation. If anybody is aware of the abortion slavery comparison, which juxtaposes Roe versus Wade um, in 1973 and the um, Dred Scott case of 1857 alongside of each other, you see that 
eerie correlation between Dred Scott not being considered fully a man and that right. preborn baby's not considered fully human. You know, the mother can choose to keep or kill the child. The slave owner could kill or sell or beat, you know, the slave. Uh, both of those um, egregious pieces of legislation passed with seven to two decisions by our Supreme Court. Well, Dr. Wilkie was the one that the Holy Spirit gave that revelation to, and now people trumpet that truth um, around around the nation. So just a really uh, prophetic uh, Catholic uh, brother. Mm-hmm. So, so I shared the story with, uh, with in the interview, both Dr. Wilkie and Brad teared up simultaneously. And they said to me, Andrea, they said, if anything, this uniquely qualifies you for the position. And I, and I do want to say this before I go further is, you know, so often we focus on the men that push or persuade the woman to have the abortion. And unfortunately, that group of men is too many, right? Mm. Are too many. But there are three other groups of men. There are the groups of men that the woman never tells, like the man that my wife got pregnant by prior to us, you know, getting married when she had her abortion, right? Then there are the men that uh, beg the woman not to have the abortion, but don't have a legal ground to stand on. Um, uh, and then thirdly, uh, groups of men like myself who've never been involved in an abortion, but are connected to a post-abortive woman, either chivalrously coming alongside of them and marrying them, or they may be their, their father, their uncle, their coach, their Sunday school teacher. You know, So there's an equipping that needs to be done across uh, the spectrum of men uh, to help us understand uh, post-abortion, not to mention men who are post-abortive themselves. That's a fifth group that I didn't name. So shortly after starting at Life Issues Institute, um, I learned about Forgiven and Set Free, the post-abortion Bible mm-hmm. study group that's offered free uh, by uh, most pregnancy help centers across the country. I encouraged my wife to go and she did. And, and now that she's been healed, I often have her share her testimony before I speak uh, like I did when I was the keynote speaker at Heartbeat International's conference. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a it's a powerful thing. And I'll close this uh, answering to your question of how I got involved in the pro-life movement with this um, before, you know, of course you have questions. But <laughs> my dear friend, Father Frank Pavone, mm-hmm. he says that you don't choose the pro-life movement. It chooses you. And, and I believe that when you look at the threads that I just right. wove with the tapestry of my story, I believe there are many listeners out there that have the same kind of scenarios, but may not yet have answered the call of God. And if you're listening to this and God is speaking to you and he's stirring you, and you've seen billboards, you've seen commercials, you've read articles, you've read highlights, uh, headlines, excuse me, and God's been stirring your heart. Perhaps there's even the connecting of the dot with your own abortion story. God is calling you. He wants to use you in profound ways to touch and to impact and to encourage others for life. That's something that we talk about a lot here. It's the fact that um, God does not uh, call the equipped. He equips the called. Hmm. And that's something that we um, definitely look to. And I know in my own experience, I've often said, I feel like I'm walking blindly down a path. And every so often, God will remove the blindfold and I'll look back and be like, oh, that's how I got here because of exactly what you said. There's so many connections 
along the way through the years that bring us to this exact moment. And when you do see it and it's just so bold and blunt in front of you of, oh, that's how I got here. And God was working in me the entire time. And I just was too foolish to see it or I didn't understand. Or like you started seventh grade, you met Dr. Wilkie. It's like those moments were being placed inside you to make a firm foundation so that later you would be equipped with what you needed to in order to stand up strongly for life. Right. And, And, you you know, it's funny, Andrea, because um, between the interview and them calling me and offering me the job, uh, I, I, the, the light bulb came on. (laughs) I was wondering when that would happen for you. So my dad, who's very old school, he's gone on to be with the Lord now, but Mm. he, um, he, he never threw away anything. I mean, he would file stuff meticulously in alphabetical order. And I guess I got a lot of those traits from him, (laughs) uh, but, um, he still had the program from when he had Dr. Wilkie there. Cause there were some other dignitaries and, and such that spoke on the program. So the first day I started the job, I took that program with me and showed it to Dr. Wilkie. And he just started weeping. He said, oh. you kept this? And I said, well, my father kept it. I, I was just a seventh grader. And it was just such a such a powerful, uh, moving uh, moment. And um, he was, Dr. Wilkie was like a grandfather to me uh, because I had the privilege of working with him full time for eight years. And, mm-hmm. and when he died, um, it was, it was very, uh, very moving for me. And let me just share this one other piece about the post-abortive. A major part of what is on my heart to do is to uh, is to connect dots or uh, create environments, if you will, where the post-abortive men and women of our world by the millions uh, will, you know, can get that help and that hope mm-hmm. and that healing. Because when they begin to speak out, it's it's a game changer. Revelation 12 and 11 says, I'll say that again, Revelation Chapter 12, verse 11 says that we overcome the devil by the blood of the lamb. That's the sacrifice of Jesus Christ at Calvary and the word of our testimony. Mm. Right. So when they share their story, yeah, they may have made that choice, you know, and, and, and the devil uses that to keep them shackled in their mind. But if and when they can get past that. It's so revolutionary. When my wife shares her story, there are women that come up and share and men that come up and share afterward who said that they've never shared with anybody. One woman came up to us not too long ago. It was January of this month, of this year, Sanctity of Human Life Month, who who was probably 80. She wasn't going to come to the church. She had never been to our church. She's a friend of one of our members. She felt like uh, God was stirring her to come. She came. I preached on life that Sunday. That was January of this year, Sanctity of Human Life Month. And she shared the three abortions that she had that she had never, she said she had never shared with anybody. And she said she felt so free. She cried. We wept. We connected her with some resources. And I believe it's going to change the trajectory of her life, however much longer she has, uh, you know, on this earth. And I think that's something that we've seen being in this movement for so long. It's that when we do hear testimony or give a testimony, that um, amount of courage infects others. And then it really does encourage them uh, to come up and stand up on their own story and share because they understand that they are now among a group of people who are not going to judge them, they're not going to condemn them, 
they are going to embrace them and truly walk alongside them to toward a path of healing. And I think that that's something that gets under mentioned, probably intentionally, um, for the work of pregnancy help organizations, um, and other pro-life outlets, but it, we know the impact because we hear the women and men share their stories and the impact that they had going through and walking through these programs, getting that healing all sparked by the testimony of one person, just mm. like your wife. So please relay our gratitude toward her or to her directly. I know I'm sure, um, she had several of those moments at our conference a few years ago, and I'm I'm sure that Peggy and others came to say thank you directly. But we still, it's one of the most um, empowering things we've learned that women can do is speak up and speak out. Mm-hmm. And same with men and just sharing their moments and their um, history to really spark that passion inside of others and really um, get them going. Mm-hmm. So- I do want to fast forward just a couple years now. So you've been to the Life Issues Institute working um, within the Urban Initiative and Urban Outreach. Tell us about the Douglas Leadership Institute and okay. what you do there. All right. Well, I worked at Life Issues Institute and I was the founder of Protecting Black Life, which was what we named the uh, Urban Outreach Initiative that I started basically with nothing. I mean, when I was hired, they gave me an office that was a room that was used for storage, Andrea. So (laughs) there was boxes. I had left a very opulent um, senior pastorate. Um, You know, I followed my father when he retired. I was pastoring another church and they asked me to follow him when he retired. And I stepped in that uh, church and it was a wonderful opportunity for the most part. But there were other parts of it that weren't so wonderful uh, Mm -hmm. because the people not only wanted me to be like my dad, they wanted me to be my dad. And that expectation was so unfair and it was so intense that I ended up uh, resigning from that job, which resulted in me ending up at Life Issues Institute shortly thereafter. <laughs> so again, we're talking about these paths that right. we in the Lord. So, so I worked there for eight years. I left there to launch and lead Breath of Life. Uh, Breath of Life LLC is an organization that my wife and I launched that I still lead And Breath of Life LLC is an umbrella for the gifts and talents the Father's given me. If anybody knows the the parable of the five, the the parable of the talents in the Bible, uh, it talks about one man is given five talents, one person's given two, one person's given one, and they were expected to double them, right? Mm -hmm. And the guy that had five. Uh, turned his into 10. The guy that had two turned his into four. And the guy that had one was afraid and right. he buried it and he was strongly rebuked. Matter of fact, the, the 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 guy that gave out the talents called him a wicked and unprofitable servant because he buried uh, that talent. So under that umbrella, Breath of Life, LLC, which is a for-profit organization, I do much pro-life work. I do my architectural work I do. I'm a professional a saxophone that's been playing for uh, 46 years and have recorded and traveled all over the world with, with that. And then I do pastoral consultation and I do motivational speaking. So those five gift areas are under uh, that umbrella. So I still do that and also serve on staff at People's Church here in Cincinnati, Ohio, which is a church near the University of Cincinnati 
Uh, we have 35 nations represented at our church. So it's very multiracial, multi-ethnic. And I love mm-hmm. uh, being on staff there part-time. And then comes in the Douglas Leadership Institute. Um, so during my tenure at Life Issues Institute and Protecting Black Life, which Protecting Black Life was an outreach or a department within Life Issues Institute, so people don't get confused. During that time, I was hosting a lot of events, um, some locally and some uh, you know, nationally, uh, because our, our reach quickly grew to national and international when I was at uh, Protecting Black Life. I've lectured in England with Dr. Jack Wilkie. I've, I've um, lectured in, uh, I say lectured, but I really didn't lecture. I preached, right? They, they call right. it lecturing. I do the same thing I do on Sunday morning and I elicit amens, but, and they keep <laughs> calling me back for these banquets and conferences and such, Andrea. I'm a preacher, right? <laughs> <laughs> so just I, keep saying yes. So right, you can spread right. that message. Yeah. So I've been to Trinidad and Tobago where oh, yeah. it's still illegal. Um, you know, um, they're being pressured by Marie Stopes, Marie Stopes, like, uh, Planned Parenthood, but on steroids on the international, uh, life scene and or anti-life scene, I really should say more appropriately, they're being pressured and they're being, uh, lured and tempted, uh, at the hands of Marie Stopes organization by, uh, Trinidad and Tobago's big brother Island, um, uh, Barbados, because they have had legalized abortion for, you know, 20 years or so, you know, under the guise of all of these goods and services and 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 freedoms, if you will, that you'll oh, receive, yeah. you'll open up your doors. But there's a small group of pro-life workers, attorneys and Christians uh, that that are still holding their ground. And we've gone multiple times to encourage and to strengthen them. So during all of those years, I was hosting events and um, Reverend Dean Nelson, who's the chairman of the Douglas Leadership Institute, incredible brother in the Lord, and and one of my best friends, um, he he, I would have him to be a keynote or to be a co-panelist on events I was doing, and then he would have me uh, doing the same at events that the Douglas Leadership Institute and also the Frederick Douglass Foundation were doing. The Frederick Douglass Foundation is our sister organization, and it's a 501c4, okay? okay? The Douglas Leadership Institute is a 501c3, okay? So all those years, Dean and I are becoming closer and closer friends. So last year, <laughs> uh, I ended a contract at the end of the spring in 2019, where I was designing in here in uh, Westchester, Ohio, which is a wonderful, uh, thriving community that is um, a suburb, if you will, of greater Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. I was designing a hotel and event center uh, there, leading that project as project architect and, and uh, a development manager on, on a contract that I had. When that ended, I wasn't quite sure what was going to be next, right? Um, I had left the church where I had served for 14 years as assistant pastor, the Heirs Covenant Church, like Heirs of God, Join Heirs with Jesus Christ. This contract had ended and I didn't know where I was going to land. So you were talking, Andrea, about walking these right. paths of faith with God. You don't know where you're going. I started um, um, at People's Church as a staff pastor January of this year. 
I was supposed to start at Douglas Leadership Institute January of this year. But what Dean and I did is we didn't want to make the mistake of moving forward with me uh, stepping into this role purely on the basis of our friendship. Right. We wanted right. knew that it was know that it was God, that this was the right opportunity, that I was the right man and that this was the right time. So we took about five to six months last summer and prayed together twice a week, every Tuesday morning, every Thursday morning, asking God, is this is this your will? And if it's not, make that clear to us. So that resulted in October of last year. They fast forwarded it. They gained some additional funding and brought me on fourth quarter of last year rather than waiting until first quarter this year. And I stepped in as the director of uh, ministry engagement with the Douglas Leadership Institute. So you've just celebrated your first anniversary there then. That's right. That's absolutely right. Let me just share just a blurb about uh, DLI. The Douglas Leadership Institute is a national education and public policy 501c3 organization founded in 2015 with representatives and groups across the United States. Uh, DLI's philosophy is based upon the sanctity of human life, the promotion of free market principles, and limited government. Uh, Our mission statement is to educate, equip, and empower faith-based leaders to embrace and apply biblical principles to life and in the marketplace. And our vision statement is a nation of prosperous, flourishing communities transformed by men and women who embrace a biblical worldview in cultural and civic engagement. And to learn more, people can visit uh, our website at dlinstitute.org. Now, that mission and vision are very powerful statements you just read there. Mm. And it's all about that connecting and that outreach. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Is that kind of what this new initiative is all about that um, we were privy to get a kind of behind the scenes uh, look into? Well, let me let me back up just slightly before I go forward. Oh, yeah. In this role as, as National Director of, of Ministry Engagement, and it's, it's so it's, it's so deep just as I look at how God works, you know, and, and I'm learning present tense how to be more in the moment, more in prayer, more mm-hmm. in tune with the Holy Spirit so that I have more real-time revelation of what God is doing and, and, and not solely hindsight revelation. You know, as we grow and develop and mature in God and grow in our intimacy with him, you know, we can, we can discern more things and stay in the word of God stay in prayer, have godly counsel around us that we can bounce things off of, you know, hey man, you know, such and such happened. Do you think this could be, or would you pray with me about this or that? Too many believers, and this is kind of off um, off, um, off topic a little. No, it's not. Thank you, Holy Spirit. It's not off topic at all. <laughs> Too many people live in silos of isolation and they're mm. trying to figure out the dynamics and the twists and turns of their lives by themselves. But the devil does some of his most destructive work when we're in silos and we're isolated. That's been exacerbated with the COVID-19 and the quarantining and all this. Well, just because we're physically distanced doesn't mean we need to be spiritually uh, distanced or even socially distanced. I mean, with the advent of technology, with phones and texting and, and Zoom and FaceTime and all of this stuff, 
we've got more opportunities to stay connected and to impact the world for Jesus now than ever before. We've been but, blessed to learn that as well. I'm just going to yeah. jump in real quick. No, um, please do. Yeah, here at Heartbeat. By the way, I love that real-time revelations because mm. you are right. So often we look back and even what I was saying earlier about looking back and seeing how I got here. I love the idea of, of getting to that point of being so open to God that you you can witness it in real time and you're seeing it. I love too the fact that um, you and... Um, Reverend Dean Nelson spent that time for weeks on end, just pausing and praying. Well, that's a great segue, Andrea, because I think this is a teachable moment for the listeners. That's that's different than what you and I expected. And we're Mm -hmm. going to get back to our topic. But somebody out there, somebody's plural are out there listening and they're thinking, well, how do I how do I enhance my real time revelation?" I'm going to mm-hmm. tell you how. It's not a secret, right? And it's not relegated to only those that are in pulpit ministry, right? It's available to every born again child of God, right? <laughs> <laughs> you got to regularly spend times right. in prayer and abiding times with the Lord. He says in his word that if we abide in him, he'll abide in us, right? So, and when I say abide in him, I'm not talking about just coming to God for his hand and what he can give us, but coming to him, seeking his face, right? Mm. So, So there ought to be times when you just come just to love on God, just to love on God. For example, I have, well, my children are adults now. Now I have grandchildren. But when a child dotes on that parent or that grandchild grandparent, you've got you've got the key, keys to the kingdom, right? <laughs> Whatever. But when you always come begging, there there right. comes this resistance and this reticence that okay, here they come again, right? I wonder does God feel that way sometimes because we're always just in asking mode and never just in loving on Him mode, right? So prayer staying in the word, staying connected to other believers, you know, for mm-hmm. checks and balances. Cause I've got people in my world. I don't care if I am local, national, international speaker. I got friends in my world, Andrea, that would tell me, bruh, you tripping. Okay. Right. That ain't God, man. Bring that down several notches. You know what I'm saying? You need those kind of people. <laughs> you're not, you're not reverend. You're not doctor. You're not this, that, and the other. You just aren't. <laughs> <laughs> Not that I'm a doctor anyway, but I'm using that as an example. But you see what I'm saying, right? Oh, yeah. That accountability is so important in that real real um, persona that only our friends or uh, deep confidants truly understand to where when they say, stop it, you're going to realize like, okay, yeah, maybe right. I'm I'm a true. little too far. <laughs> but, but you said something a minute ago that I really want to highlight on mm-hmm. right, wrapping up this piece, and then we'll get back to D- Douglas Leadership Institute. Mm-hmm. Is you talked about pausing. Yes. And I, that's what you've got to do. And that has been a divine reset for the church with this coronavirus mm-hmm. uh, is, to, is to slow down, be quiet, unplug, get before the Lord. And if you watch Jesus's, if you study Jesus's earthly ministry, there were many times where he would pull not only away from the multitude, but even from the 12 and even from the three, Peter, James, and John, and go into the mountain and pray and get along with his father. And we're so connected now, right? With texting and emailing and all that. There are times daily, when I turn my, sometimes I, I power it off my phone mm-hmm. and, and computer. Other times I'll just silence it and leave it in a completely different room mm-hmm. so that I can disconnect and unplug 
and spend that time soaking in the presence of the Lord. That, my friends, is how real-time revelation is enhanced. And if you don't know Jesus and you're listening to me, the first step is to receive him into your heart because you can't just stumble into this thing. Jesus is the gateway. <laughs> oh, you're very, very true. And we did... Uh, we actually did this intentionally as a leadership group here at Heartbeat this past summer where we purposely kind of unplugged and took mm -hmm. an hour just to write whatever we were hearing God say to us. And it was such a powerful moment uh, for me personally. And then when we all got back together, it was quite fantastic to see uh, the crossover of information that was given to us in that time while we were all separated and just in the quiet. Right. And at first, uh, your 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 and I'm saying this to the listeners. At first, your mm -hmm. flesh is going to writhe and it's going to oh, yeah. because it hates that silence and all that stuff. But the more you do it, I love. I'm talking about in all caps. I love <laughs> silence and quiet times with God. Now it's the antithesis, where sometimes too much noise and information and stuff bugs me because I say, okay, I got I got to get away. I've got to. I've got to, I've got to unplug, you know, and I was telling my wife just the other day, I said, honey, it's time again for me to do a, a prayer retreat where I'll just go away to a hotel or someplace for a couple of days, just all alone with my Bible and my journals and, mm. and, and, and just, and just write and just pray. And, and, and I, I, I know that it's time for me to do that again. Um, so anyway, I'll stop there lest I start to weep because it's very, it's very special and very precious to me. You don't get the stuff that we're talking about relative to our new initiative just because you're smart, right? Right. It comes from the spirit of the living God. I'm not that smart. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not ashamed to tell anybody. <laughs> So in this role as National Director of Ministry Engagement, I network and I build organizational relationships with senior pastors and ministry leaders mm. to advance our mission and vision. So I serve as our chief engagement officer uh, for ministry leaders, pastors, ministers, community leaders, and I meet with senior pastors and ministry leaders because, because our work is national. Much of what we've done has been virtual anyway. So when right. COVID hit, we prefer and we love in person, but it 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 it, it was a hiccup. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be dishonest, but it wasn't much of a hiccup. It was more like a speed bump, and we kept on moving. But our targeted states are Florida, Georgia, Michigan, North Carolina, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Texas, and Virginia. And God continues to increase uh, that that territory as we continue to do uh, the work. So I conduct uh, weekly uh, pastoral and and uh, and ministry leader um, oriented roundtable events, forums, and program and events in those targeted states, just educating and equipping uh, pastors and leaders. Uh, remember, I said a minute ago that uh, the enemy loves to work work on us. Um, in times of isolation, mm -hmm. you get a pastor and his or her uh, eyes come open to this truth, then the enemy and his hordes swarm on them and they feel like they're all alone. 
one of the things I love doing, we just had a wonderful one last Friday via Zoom where um, there were about 15 pastors on there who've never met each other, live in different parts of the country, but they're all signing on for this new project that we're doing. And, and they're meeting like-minded men and women that are senior pastors of churches, African-American. Mm. And, uh, and, and, and some of them are sharing their post-abortion stories with one another. So we're not just talking about the congregants in the pews, right. but we're talking about the preachers in the pulpit, right? <laughs> so this thing is powerful. Yeah. So uh, yeah, we are now to, what two or three generations into legal abortion. So more often than not, you definitely have that um, where you know somebody directly who's been impacted. I I enjoyed or not enjoyed. I appreciated how you delineated between the five groups of men earlier, and then if you take the women as part of that too. Mm-hmm. There's so many different aspects. I'm so you had. 15 different people from 15 different locations. So not even word of mouth, come with me, friend, and join me. These are connections that you're making all over the country and bringing together. Well, part of what we're doing, let, let me just, um, I think this is a good time to kind of segue into uh, into the project, right? Yeah, tell us so, about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this project is called the Jeremiah 1 and 5 Project. And it derives its name from the book of Jeremiah in the Bible, chapter one, verse five. And Jeremiah one and five from the New Living Translation reads like this. Uh, I knew you, this is God speaking to Jeremiah. I knew you before I formed you in in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you as my prophet to the nations. That's Jeremiah 1 and 5. Mm-hmm. And in that verse, as I prayed and just percolated, you know, just meditated on that verse, God began to speak to me, right? And he showed me three life-affirming keys that jump out in that verse. There may be more, but I'm just highlighting three, mm-hmm. right? The first thing we see is the purview of God, okay? It, it, because God sees us and knows us even in the womb. He's, he's omniscient. He's all-knowing. He's all-seeing. The second thing we see is personhood, right? Mm-hmm. God acknowledges personhood in the womb. He didn't say, uh, Jeremiah saw a clump of cells. He said, I saw you in the womb. So purview, personhood. And then thirdly, God assigns purpose in the womb because he called Jeremiah to be a prophet to the nations, even from his inception right? And each of us are called to do something special as well. And the dangerous thing that we often do is compare ourselves with others. Paul Mm -hmm. said in the book of Corinthians, they that compare themselves amongst themselves are not wise. So you might do something a little different than Betty might do, than Joel might do, than so-and-so might do, but God has gifted and created you to do what he wants you to do. And nobody else on the on the billions of people on this planet can do it like Andrea Truden, right? <laughs> so, so we've got we've got purpose in us. So there are goals and expectations of this project. Uh, the goals of this project are to increase awareness of abortion and its impact on the black community, mm-hmm. to decrease the favorability of abortion. We want to make it unthinkable to reduce the number of abortion providers and the number of abortions in the Black community. Now, let me stop for a minute because I keep highlighting the Black community. That's not to the exclusion of any other community. My heart aches and breaks 
over all 3,000 plus babies of all races and ethnicities that are killed by abortion every day in these United States. Mm -hmm. But the black community is being decimated and ravished by abortion more than any other uh, people group. As a matter of fact, uh, we are the only people group that's that's upside down, meaning right. that we're leaving this earth at a faster, greater rate than we're coming here. And I know for years it has been um, the black population makes up about 13 percent of the U.S. population, but accounts for over 30 percent of all abortions. Is that still consistent? Well, that well, yes and no. Okay. The population number is still about the same, but the percentage of abortions that Blacks make up is continu continuing to increase. Oh, goodness. See what I'm saying? Let me, let me share this statistic. In, in 1960, this is a population statistic. Mm -hmm. In 1960, according to the Census Bureau, this isn't secret information. This isn't pro-life data. You can go to United States right. Census Bureau and find this. There were 18 million, 871,371 Black people living in the United States in 1960. I'll say that again. 18,871,371. Yes. <laughs> so if somebody's taking notes, 18, comma, 871, comma, 371. That was the black population in 1960. Well, since 1973, we've killed more than 20 million black babies by abortion. So we've killed more black babies by abortion than the, in <laughs> glory to God, than the entire United States black population in 1960. Wow. Yeah. So and that's why this outreach is so important and, oh and getting people on board so that they understand what is happening within their own communities and then how they can stop it. That's absolutely right. That That is absolutely right. It's, oh. it's critically important. And Margaret Sanger, well, let me slow down. Expectations. Our expectation with this Jeremiah 1 in 5 project, which is a pastor's project, it's primarily geared to black pastors, but we welcome all pastors because this, this uh, scourge on America is so egregious and is so tantamount that it's going to take the work of all of us to bring this giant down. So it's not exclusive to black pastors, but it's unashamedly primarily geared to black pastors. So our expectation is to build on the success, our success with the Church of God in Christ, which recently passed a historic resolution affirming the sanctity of life. And I'll say more about that in a moment. We expect to secure signatures from at least 250 black pastors affirming the dignity and value of all human life, regardless of gestational age. And we, we expect those pastors and we equip those pastors to commit to pray, to preach, and to teach, and also to invite their pastoral peers to do likewise. So they, they're to pray for an end to abortion and that the goals and expectations of this project are achieved, to preach that life comes from God, that it's precious and should be protected, and to promote the Jeremiah 1 and 5 project by recruiting three of their pastoral peers to join us. So if 250 pastors do that, that's a thousand pastors, 250 times three, right? Oh my goodness. Yeah. Well, so not too 
times three, but 250 times Plus four. the times three, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you. I was following yeah. the math. <laughs> it <great>. added up. <laughs> right, right, right. Now, so the original uh, initiative, which just started, so I'm going to ask you about that in just a moment. Um, the focus initially is on these eight states and then planning to um, expand past there. Is that correct? No. No, Douglas okay. Leadership's Institute's um, targeted work in general are those are those states. Oh, right? okay. Right. However, this thing is taking on a life of its well, that's own. That's what I was thinking. I'm like, you're oh, going to yeah. expand really fast. Oh yeah, fast. We're, not, we're not like, oh no, you're in California, so you okay. can't. It's like, nah, brother, no, nah, sister, come on, come on up in here. You know, because if you think about it. Planned Parenthood, the leading mm -hmm. promoter and provider of abortion, says that by age 45, at least one out of every three women in the United States will have had at least one abortion, right? And if yeah. that's the case, then many of them, male and female, are sitting silently suffering in our church pews. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So the pastor and the ministers can really help to, you know, to, uh, to, open, to open that door. Well, and most women who have had an abortion identify as Christian and going to church. Thank you for adding that. Right. Yeah. Because when I tell people that, you know, their eyes kind of kind of bug out, you know, in disbelief. But we have the statistical analysis from mm -hmm. the, the pregnancy help centers across the country. And that's why I love working with pregnancy help centers so much. I've been doing it for a couple of decades now because many of them. Um, you know, are trying hard to reach into uh, the black community and um, they're just having they're having tremendous difficulty. Mm -hmm. So what we do is we come in and we do it largely two things. One is the, the, the power and the favor and grace of God on our lives and ministries. Uh, but then secondly, is the power of relationships. You know, people can't run past uh, relationships. Uh, because, um, you know, when you go to that black pastor, as important as it is for um, him to preach, him or her to preach and teach about life, if they don't even know who you are and, and why are you, why are you pestering me? <laughs> then to, you know, they're not going to check, check this out. They're not going to open their doors. Here's a quote from Margaret Sanger that she wrote in this historic and infamous letter to Dr. Clarence Gamble of the Procter and Gamble Empire. At the time, he was the president of the United, the uh, American Eugenics Society. Mm. And I encourage listeners, if they've not watched Ma'afa 21, uh, Black Genocide in 21st Century America, Ma'afa is spelled M-A-A-F-A. Ma'afa 21, Black Genocide in 21st Century America. You can go to YouTube. The entire documentary is there. Ma'afa is a Swahili word that means a grave travesty or injustice. And it, and it, and it, uh, it was used in its original context, talking about the Middle Passage. That was when Blacks were ripped from their homeland in Africa, yeah. brought to the, 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 the Americas, uh, both North and South America, and, and, and all that died in that Middle Passage, that, that, that boat ride, right? Mm -hmm. But she wrote in her in this letter in 1939, which we call the Negro Project. Mm -hmm. She wrote this, we should hire three or four colored ministers, preferably with social service backgrounds and with engaging personalities. 
the most successful educational approach to the Negro is through a religious appeal. We don't want the word to go out that we want to exterminate the Negro population. And the minister is the man who can straighten out that idea if it ever occurs to any of their more rebellious members. So, 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 so Andrea, I dare to believe that if ministers uh, were duped and deceived and even paid off mm. to open this door, this anti-life door to our community to be ravished by abortion, I believe that the spirit of the living God wants to use pastors and preachers and ministers of the gospel to close that same door. And we believe at Douglas Leadership Institute, we believe that uh, that that this is the this is the heartbeat, pun intended. <laughs> heartbeat International. You have a smooth how I did that, wasn't it? But it, it's, it's the heartbeat of the Jeremiah One and Five project. So let's talk about that. It's been up now for a little over a week, or just about a week. What right. have you What have you witnessed so far with the Jeremiah One Five? It's 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 exciting. It's exciting. I, I was looking at my email. You know, I'm multitasking even in the midst of oh, yes. uh, this interview, and I see about six or seven uh, pastors that have signed up just since I've oh, been. Oh wow! So so every day, you know, they're rolling in, and we have it set up where our our back end folks, so to speak, and I don't mean any disrespect to the folks that do that. Uh, I, I'm so appreciative to them because I'm not that right. <laughs> they, they tally all that and give us reports and all that. But then my uh, email address is is pinged for for getting those as well because I want right. to coming in. We were talking about real time revelation. I want to see them coming in in real time, mm -hmm. you know. And then I began reaching out to them and getting them plugged in to these um, these virtual roundtables where they meet other pastors. And I keep saying men and women because there are men and women pastors, oh, yeah. you know, we, we, to connect with those that are of like mind. Some are brand new to the movement. Some have been in the movement for many years and have just grown battle weary. But for them to see new recruits coming in, you know, they're, they're so uh, excited and reinvigorated. And um, when and also I take that time in those roundtables to um, to to educate them further around. Mm -hmm. this. And then the next step is to do a deep dive with them because there's so much history and there's so much um, that we can share with them. Uh, when right. I say we, I'm not just talking about Douglas Leadership Institute, but our broader pro-life movement can teach them that will shorten their steps, you know, it's like, um, hey, don't go down this road. Don't try this strategy because this does not work. But here's a here's a lane. You know what I'm saying? So so it helps to, to shorten their steps. So I want to encourage listeners to to visit uh, dlinstitute.org forward slash Jeremiah, and you'll get to that landing page. You'll also see the Church of God in Christ. We we have a corresponding um, uh, page that we list their life-affirming resolution that they unanimously passed in November of last year. I did, I, oh my God, I'm seeing real time. I'm seeing connections, Andrea, because I was brought on board with DLI early in October. In and then this passed. 
Yeah, in November, <laughs> we were in St. Louis, Missouri for their international holy convocation that they have every year. Mm-hmm. And, and, and this resolution passed. But we have been working this strategy for about five or six years with their leadership. Right. And everything just came together right at that moment. So now what we're doing is, well, I won't, I don't want to, I don't want to give away too much. I don't want to give away too much. (laughs) I don't want to give away too much because we've got some real, uh, we've got some real strategic thinking behind phase two and phase three, phase four. And sometimes if you divulge off times, if you divulge Mm -hmm. your battle plan too quickly, you know, then the devil starts to work. He's already working. Uh, but but he'll work, you know, to try to thwart that. So I'm just going to hold some things kind of close to the vest. But this thing is is blowing up. <laughs> Absolutely. And I keep that wisdom, definitely, because we've seen that happen as well, where you want to keep your uh, guardrails up until the time is right, because that is God's time. Right. I almost <laughs> shared it. And the Holy Spirit on the inside, he's like, he's like, oh, no, pull back, pull back. It's <laughs> that pause moment. <laughs> well, we're, we are going to have a link to the site um, so that mm. people can sign up too. And I see on the landing page, of course, um, the questions of, do you have the authority to commit to your church to this pledge? Yes, yes I do. Or no, I don't. And one of the options there for under no is I'm signing as a personal pledge only. Yes. So tell me a little bit about that. Um, so should we be encouraging, of course, people to share this so that it uh, has even further legs than initially yes. um, may have thought of? Yes, that's a resounding yes. <laughs> the reason that we don't talk about that part as much is because that's not the major thrust of phase one. You with me? And gotcha. phase one is November 10th to, de- to December 10th. However, as this thing is building steam and gaining notoriety, mm-hmm. people are, are making that uh, uh, connection like you just did. And they're saying, well, I want to sign on too. And, and what we right. find on the back end is we, you know, we can, we can isolate and identify you know, uh, Pat, who's a pastor, mm-hmm. senior pastor, who's a staff pastor, you know, who's an individual that's signing on. And none of those are better than, less than the other. It's just that we have a different area of focus for each of them. Because sometimes that individual that's signing up will be the catalyst God uses to get us to his or her pastor. When it's actually, as I started with, just all the different branches of the pro-life movement and all the different skill sets that are necessary in order to come together to really advance the culture of life. And that is where it is so important that we um, work together. We hear each other and then we discern how we should be utilizing the different strengths that God has equipped us with. Well, I'm glad you I'm glad you said it that way, because I, I teach and preach around the country uh, to to our pro-life colleagues, <clears throat> challenging them to be able to see this more clearly. Because I'm a United States Army veteran, then I see this in military terms. Okay. You've got your infantry, your ground troops, you've got your air force, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, exactly. And they all have different functions. But when I go to high level uh, national meetings. I was at one not too long ago um, with uh, with Betty McDowell, the vice president of Heartbeat International, and with a room full of others. And I still saw the bickering that I see um, mm. down through the years of people vehemently arguing with other organizations and leaders because they don't drill down and focus in the other organization's area of passion. Right. That is one of the, I'm going to say it, one of the dumbest things I've ever seen in my life. Yes, I said it, right? 
you don't see the cardiac care unit in the hospital uh, belittling intensive care. You don't see intensive care um, uh, mocking the psych ward, right? And so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. They all have their areas of specialty, but the power of it is that they work together. And that's one of the things that the secular world seems to understand better than the Christian world. You know, if we're a football team and all of us are quarterbacks, we're going to lose the game. Right. Right. We need somebody blocking. We need somebody catching. We need somebody cheering, you know, uh, in the in the uh, uh, on the sideline with the pom poms. We need somebody in the concession stand cooking hot dogs. Right. We all have different functions. And I love that because when people come to me about adoption, we connect them to some wonderful resources. When they come to us for pregnancy care help, we connect them to wonderful resources. We can stay in our lane. And and here's something I really want to say before before we conclude our time is not everybody. I know this is going to be a shocker, but not everybody is called to reach pastors. But everybody sees the power of the pastor. So therefore, they go to them with all of this flailing of arms and excitement and raised voices. And by the time those of us, and I'm not just saying me, I'm not just saying Douglas Leadership Institute, but when the time comes for those of us that do have a specific call to reach pastors, by the time we get to him or her, she's so inflamed, they're so inflamed and so offended, they don't even want to talk to us. Because people have allowed their passion to become prickly, right? Yeah. We understand we're excited about wanting to save babies and wanting to uh, cause people to not be impacted by abortion and all of that. But the Bible says that our words should be full of grace and seasoned with salt. And a lot of times pro-lifers miss that. Sometimes we're far too harsh and shrill and hard, even though our heart may be in the right place, our methods are oftentimes offensive. So I'm going to stop there. (laughs) (laughs) No, you called me out on my email initially when we were talking about getting together. Heartbeats, a a big uh, part of us is the fact that we do believe that we are better together. And that is embedded in us because we understand the limitations that we do have. And you hit on a key word there that we talk about a lot here. It's the methodology. Mm. And we may have different methods as to how we are um, moving toward our mission and vision to make abortion unthinkable. Um, But we all have a purpose and a um, specific reason why we are doing what we are doing. Yeah. Um, so with this new initiative with Jeremiah 1.5, um, I know we are in phase one right now. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to jump ahead to phase two because I know that's coming in December. But what can we do now? Is it, uh, is it best to share? Uh, we, like I said, we are going to post the, um, the new initiative for pastors on uh, this podcast website. Is there anything else we can do um, beyond praying for you all? Um, well, you know, um, you know, organizations uh, don't exist um, free. <laughs> so, so I'm glad you asked. We do have a secure donation page on our website, and and we could definitely use uh, some dollars mm-hmm. on this. You know, uh, in scripture, when when God called people to prayer. Uh, he would all he would then call them to get up from their knees and and do something right. So put some feet to your faith. So we we unashamedly do ask and do welcome 
uh, donations. And I think I would be remiss, Andrea, if I didn't just quickly hit three things uh, of, uh, and I could share more, but I just want to share three that reasons why pa- more pastors don't don't get involved. Oh, yes, okay? please. One of the first things is a lack of knowledge. Okay. Uh, the Bible says in Hosea chapter four and verse six, God says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. He said, because thou hast rejected knowledge, I will also reject thee, that thou shalt be no priest to me, seeing that thou hast forgotten the law of thy God, I will also forget thy children. And if you read those first five verses leading up to verse six, he's talking a lot about bloodshed and a number of other things. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, abortion isn't mentioned in there, but there was a lot of child sacrifice and a lot of kinds of things going on at that time. Right. So we're destroyed for lack of knowledge. Now, when I throw that out to people, they often say, well, you know, there's a lot of pastors that are just, you know, they've they've bought into a Democrat Party uh, ideology and they're aware of abortion and they just don't want to, um, you know, they just don't want to come into the light. OK, there is some truth to that. But as one who um, empties himself, traveling extensively across this nation and planet and talking with leaders, those people in that category are in the minority. The majority of folks do not know what you and I know. Mm. When they hear that population-related statistic that we've aborted more Black babies than the entire Black population of 1960, they're, 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 they're cut to the quick, you know, as my grandmother used to say. It's like, oh my goodness, I knew about it mildly. And most people only know about abortion for at an opinion level. Right. They've not had loving, level-headed, biblically grounded, statistically corroborated, calm, loving, level-headed conversation about this issue. It's opinion and conjecture, right? So the trick of the enemy is the same trick he uses on the pastor. And I know firsthand right? Pastors who have a small group of rabble rousers in their church. And because they're kicking up such dust and making such noise, and they're so hurtful to you as the pastor and others, you invest your time, energy, and focus on them when the masses go neglected off times. Same strategy that he uses on this issue. We focus on uh, the minority of folks who do understand this information and have are drinking the Democratic Party Kool-Aid, right? And 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 don't want to address the issue. But the masses of pastors, black, white, brown, do not know this information. Hmm. So we're ha- we're engaging them in conversation so that knowledge vacuum, Hosea four and six, is eliminated. Second thing out of the three things I'm going to share as to why more pastors aren't involved is politics. I challenge my pro-life colleagues around this country and around the world to stop saying, well, abortion isn't a political issue. Well, I already shared, (laughs) you know, that it was passed by a seven to two decision by our Supreme Court. That makes it political. Now, what you have to do is you have to think about it in the context of math class and the pie graph where it has different size slices connoting different things, right? Now, there is a political slice to abortion. There is a political side. Otherwise, we wouldn't work so hard to elect local 
national and you know local, state, and federal um, uh, uh, officials that believe in life, right? So it has a political side. If what you mean to say, pro-life speaker, <laughs> right? <laughs> if if what you mean to say is that it's a bit, it's more of a biblical issue, then say that. But don't say it's not a political issue because it is. And most one of the most strategic strategies that the devil ever could have used to polarize the conversation on this issue is uh, to po- to politicize it. So mm-hmm. most people see it through political constructs. And if you could see my hands, I'm putting them up like horse blinders alongside of my face. Yeah, so I was thinking, about, I mean, it is clearly one of the topics that either uh, through religion or politics, the walls go up immediately because of well, what you said earlier well, about that opinion base, like they're basing everything off of opinion only. Right. But 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 that's not really exactly where I was going with the illustration. Oh. I'm putting up the blinders because people think about it either from a Republican construct, and that is right to life, mm-hmm. or a Democratic construct, which is a woman's right to choose. So they view abortion through that narrow lens. When we understand that it's oh, much more broader. of a biblical issue, regardless of whether you vote Republican, Democrat, Independent, Green Party, whatever you vote, what, what does the Bible say about life? So one of the things we do is help people to to broaden their perspective and grapple with this issue in a in a in a bigger in a bigger light, right? You help take off the blinders. Yes. So lack of knowledge, politics, and lastly, participation. There are many pastors who have post-abortive backgrounds and have never dealt with it. There are many pastors because I'm talking to them every day. Many pastors who who has a, a young congregant that comes into, into his or her office and they're thinking about the family and they're thinking about how bright that youngster's future is. And, and they may not intend or they may not directly steer them toward abortion, but their silence serves as condoning in the mind of that young scared congregant, right? Now, now I'm going to use the male pastor as an example here. The Bible, I didn't set this up, ladies, when you listen to this, Jesus set this up in his word that the husband is the head of the wife. Okay. And any wise husband understands that doesn't mean lording over her. It doesn't mean being dictatorial or domineering. It is a walking alongside one another and learning and strengthening and growing. But that's a whole nother uh, podcast. But, <laughs> but, but even though the husband is the head of the wife, according to the word of God, I've been married long enough to know that the wife is the neck that turns the head, right? So Mm. you give this information to a male pastor, he's excited, his heart is broken, he wants to preach and teach, but he takes that back to his post-abortive wife who is unhealed and he's shackled and cannot teach on this issue. So we have a whole army of female colleagues in this work that are reaching the pastor's wives to get them healed. Now check this out. You go to the First Baptist Church, and I'm just throwing that back. First Baptist Church anywhere USA. And you're trying to reach the pastor for the purpose of educating him on the issue, talking to him about your upcoming gala, whatever the case may be. But you're talking to the unhealed post-abortive administrative assistant 
gatekeeper right. that funnels the information back to the pastor and your conversation never makes it past her desk. But what pro-lifers then do, angrily do is, well, that church is pro-abortion. They didn't let us in. It, it didn't even get into the ears and onto, onto the desk of the individual you were trying to get in many instances. Here's another piece I want to share. And that is, we have to do a better job of helping uh, the churches to understand the resources that we bring to them. We're not just coming to them as another to-do on their calendar, but I've worked with churches across this country to connect with the pregnancy help centers such that the post-abortion Bible studies offered in the pregnancy help centers for men and women are not only offered in the church, but the congregants are raised up to adopt that ministry and their leaders are trained so that the pregnancy help center is giving away the ministry. Mm. And then the church can put the fingerprints of its ministry style and flow and flavor onto. And I've seen some exciting things happen that give it a very different feel and flavor than the pregnancy center's uh, offering the program. But the good thing is the church doesn't have to come up with all of the, the teaching necessarily and the, and the Bible and all of that, because all of that's in the wonderful work of our dear friend, uh, Linda Cochran, you know, who wrote not only forgiven and set free for women, but healing a father's heart is the men's counterpart to that Bible study. And I think that that's one thing that we've appreciated about you specifically in your ministries, um, going out and equipping the churches. It's not just saying, hey, can you preach pro-life? It's, hey, can you talk about it? And here are the tools to actually help those within your congregation who may need access to the pregnancy help organization, to the maternity home, to the abortion recovery groups. You're not just giving them, like you said earlier, it's not something on the to-do list. It's hey, here's a whole toolkit. Right. And what we do in addition to a toolkit is we, we help them. We walk alongside mm -hmm. them from point A to point Z because he or she, he or she being the pastor, may not be ready to talk about it from a Sunday morning perspective. So we talk them through various, various stages and way, strategic ways to wade into these very uh, necessary uh, waters. So, um, yeah. Yeah. And it sounds interesting. I mean, even what you said a little bit ago about having three people on your zoom call last week, no, share no, their no. experiences. Oh, oh. oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. There were more than three that shared. <laughs> oh, but yeah. I mean, hearing them connect with one another though, they've never met in person, but they're sharing these stories and they are, um, being testaments to what they have experience within their own lives. And then well, check this out, Andrea. One of the things we do is, you know, people often call me the puppet master in this <laughs> part because I'm behind the scenes doing a lot of stuff and, and I don't care who gets the credit as long as God gets the glory. So right. I'll set a lot of stuff up and then I ride off into the sunset and then watch it unfold. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, so I will bring various strategic uh, partners onto mm. these calls 
uh, that that specialize in different areas. I have a friend who's post the board of uh, uh, mail, former senior pastor. Uh, he's post the board of a couple of times. Now he has a precious wife and and four beautiful children. And he talks about the power of ministering to men, you know. And he talked about the fact that for decades he never saw that in the church. And he wishes that he would have had that when he was wrestling with the things he was wrestling with, because perhaps he wouldn't have the scars, emotional scars and whatnot that he has to this day. So he shares that story. And it's powerful because with the exception of Mary, the mother of Jesus, for every pregnancy, there's a man involved. We got to get to the man. So I see these different after school programs where they're talking to girls about abstinence and living chase lives and all this. If you don't get the young brothers, right. you ain't doing nothing, right? Because when he slide up to her with the little tight T-shirt on and the little, <laughs> the little, axe, the little axe body spray on, it's a wrap. You know what I'm saying? It's a wrap. You had to forgive me, Andrea. I did youth ministry for many, many years. Oh, <laughs> I was just laughing at a little act spray. They don't understand a little. <laughs> well, you know, a little is, 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 is that's a, a, a relative, you know? <laughs> oh, no, but you're very. You know, what's a half a can among friends? <laughs> But you are speaking such truth because that is something that um, we, of course, understand. And it's such common knowledge. And yet it's still, like you said, in the after school specials and, and in the um, uh, the sex ed that is taught, it a lot of times focuses on the woman only. Right. And it's like, well, I'm sorry, but pregnancy is not the problem at that mm. moment. It's much deeper than that and much more involved. And you must for both sides, male and female, have a sense of sexual integrity that you are holding on to because it is that valuable. And so when we build up and empower our youth to make positive choices for their lives, there's so much statistics out there that um, back this up, but just they make positive choices for much longer than just through their teenage years. It really does make a foundation. And now I've started to go off on a different topic for another day. (laughs) That's why the Douglas Leadership Institute strategically partners with the fatherhood initiative, Mm -hmm. because I was blessed to have a wonderful father in the home, you know, so I understand the power of it. But, you know, when you think about 72% of, 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 of children in the black community being raised by a single female. And I'm not doing a takeoff on single females, right? I applaud them. I celebrate them. I support them, right? They're doing the best job they can, but she cannot teach him how to be a man like a man can, right? And it, and it kind of bugs me. This is a pet peeve area here. When Father's Day comes around and you see cards out there, you yeah. know, about her being the man and all this, you know, the man in his life. And no, you can never be the man in his life. Do the best that you can. And we celebrate the fact that you are, but having a man around. So when you look at the young men of our day now and their pants are dropping, you know, and you can see all the fruit in the loom, right? <laughs> and, and see, I'm old school. So I'm not advocating for anybody to do what I do. God has given me a sense of humor and this incredible smile and all this kind of stuff. So I get away with stuff that some people can't. But I roll up on these young brothers at the gas station when I'm pumping gas. 
and I might just talk to them, you know, and 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 they're out of respect, even though they might look thugged out. They may have gold teeth in their mouth. You know, uh, they'll pull up their pants and they'll hold them while they're talking to me. And their responses are yes, sir. And no, sir. And I'm not talking down to them. I'm talking to them, black man, older black man to younger black man. You understand? And dropping knowledge in that brief exchange. They're holding up their pants because they don't have a belt. Right. (laughs) So I'm teaching them that, hey, there's a Walmart like two. I'll do it with humor. It's a Walmart two blocks away. And they man, they got a wonderful selection of belts. And they'll start oh. laughing. You know? <laughs> you know? So little people moments. Check this out. I told a pastor one time, I said, you need to not just think about this kind of teaching as a one off, whether it's a Sunday morning or bringing someone like me in or representative from Heartbeat International in. You got to you got to weave this teaching into the fabric and DNA of your church, mm-hmm. from the eldest to the youngest. And they'll say, well, what do you mean the youngest? I say, well, you've already got established children's ministry. You've got youth ministry. You've got young adult ministry. You've got men's ministry. You've got women's ministry. Start to incorporate this in the area. And they say, they'll stop. Well, wait a minute. You can't teach this to the children. How can you do that? And I'll reach in my pocket and pull out the little soft rubber fetal models, mm-hmm. little squeezable fetal models that are that size and, and, and of a child at 10 to 12 weeks when the vast majority of abortions occur. And I tell them to teach that child Jeremiah 1 and 5 and let them know that there are anti-life forces and people out there trying to end the life of that little baby in their mother's womb. And it's so comical and heartrending when I when I do that with children. They'll take that little fetal model, Andrea, and turn away from you as if they're physically protecting that like it's a live child mm-hmm. because they, you just preached a pro-life message to a to a six-year-old. They understand the value of life in such an innocent way that when they get older and start to try to justify it away, then it, it truly is. I have three small children at home, and so well, they're getting bigger. Um, but yeah, I've been watching them grow up on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> it's just amazing because it is so black and white to them mm-hmm. that then you start to really wonder, like, how do people muddy this so much? Well, um, that's an interesting segue. Mm-hmm. When you talk about millennials, mm-hmm. I know your children aren't millennials yet, but millennials. Are, are more often than not so justice oriented. Oh, yes. But if we don't get to them with this conversation, they will steer, unfortunately, over on the side of the justification and the, the alleged uh, freedom and rights to have an abortion. We've got to help them understand where they need to land relative to life in that equation. Well, and I think you're doing a very good job um, specifically through the Douglas Leadership Institute and this new Jeremiah 1 and 5 project. Um, Thank you, Arnold, for stepping into those churches and stepping, um, inviting these people uh, into conversations to really expand the understanding and the, um, oh, the depth of this topic and how it impacts each and every person within their church. Now I could go on and talk with you, Arnold, for probably another it. couple of hours. Right. I, I hope the editor doesn't go through too many convulsions <laughs> when they see this, this, this hour and 26 minutes. <laughs> well, the good news is we have a little bit of wiggle room. So we, um, we um, are going to wrap up, but I'm sure that we will continue this conversation another time. 
Um, but I do want to remind everybody that we are going to have links to uh, the Jeremiah one in five project specifically at the podcast page, um, along with some other information about the Douglas Leadership Institute and the great work that you are doing, Arnold. So thank you very much for your time today. And thank you for coming on with me. I um, want to be specifically thankful for Christine, our producer, for um, continuing to let us go on because of the great conversation that we are having. <laughs> and then um, I do want to remind our listeners uh, that they can subscribe to the podcast um, at our uh, webpage as well so that they'll get this as soon as it pops up um, and won't have to come back to the webpage. It'll come straight to their feed, um, be it through um, your Apple or Android um, device. And then, of course, I want to thank our sponsor, PregnancyHelpNews.com today, because I have a pretty good feeling that there's going to be an article about this Jeremiah 1 in 5 project as well um, at PregnancyHelpNews.com, because our goal is to educate and inform people of pro-life and pregnancy help issues. And this is definitely one that I look forward to following this journey for, to see not only how we can continue um, growing relationships within the church, but again, working together um, with you and your ministry and all the various pro-life entities that are out there so that we can achieve our vision to make abortion unthinkable for future generations. My name is Andrea Trudden, and you have been listening to the Pregnancy Help Podcast. Thank you again, Arnold, and we'll see you soon. Thank you.